0: The following sermon was delivered at the 1030 Worship Service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy! Somewhere about 10 years ago, I think, Megan and I decided that we would try our hand at vegetable gardening. I don't remember how all of this happened exactly, but I think it was my brother who suggested that we try a method called square foot gardening. It's a a plan or a system of gardening with the goal of, of maximizing produce while minimizing the amount of space needed to do so. As I recall, I borrowed a book from the library and I followed its rather detailed and meticulous instructions as closely as I could. I began by building a few raised beds, each of them four foot by four foot. Then I filled those beds with a soil mixture called Mel's Mix, named for Mel Bartholomew, the person who popularized this version of the square foot gardening plan. The soil mixture was one-third vermiculite to keep the soil loose, one-third peat moss, and one-third organic compost to provide the nutrients necessary. And then I marked out a grid on my four-by-four boxes, dividing each of those four-by-four beds into one-square-foot sections in which the seeds then could be planted. Larger plants, like tomatoes and peppers, could be planted one per box, while smaller plants, like leaf lettuce, could be planted six per box, and and even smaller plants still, like radishes or carrots, could be planted 16 per square-foot box. We continued on with that method for a few years, even expanding to a few community plots over on the congregation's property, which was next door to where we lived. And there we produced fresh vegetables to be shared, both among the congregation and then the broader community, too. And as I recall, the the method worked pretty well for us. It required quite a lot of work ahead of time, picking the right location and building the raised beds and preparing and mixing the soil and then marking out the grid on top of it. But, but once the seeds were actually planted, it didn't require much weeding, especially the first year, and the yield, as I recall, was pretty good. Now all of that introduction is to say that my gardening method was nothing at all like the farmer's method in Jesus' story today instead jesus says a farmer went out to sow or a sower went out to sow or more literally a farmer went out to scatter seeds and scatter seeds the farmer does think of the story the seeds go absolutely everywhere the seeds go onto hard packed soil of a footpath and on rocky ground with shallow soil and on ground that is thick with thorns and on good fertile soil the seeds go everywhere. The farmer doesn't first test the soil or supplement the soil to make sure that there will be enough nourishment in it. The farmer doesn't put up a net to keep the birds away or even bother weeding or removing the thorns. Instead, the farmer just flings the seeds all over the place and then depending on where they land, they're either eaten by the birds or scorched by the sun or choked out by the thorns or take root. And bear an abundant crop. And according to at least one reading of this story, the version of the story I think I was taught as a child in Sunday school, our focus tends to be on the different types of soil in the story and on wondering which type of soil we might be. What sort of ground are we on in our relationship with God? We imagine the birds that visit our fields, the rocks and the thorns that populate our spiritual lives, each threatening to distract us or to overwhelm us or to in some way choke out God's love. And then perhaps we wonder how we can clean up our fields, how we can work harder to chase away some of the distractions or clear away some of the rocks and the thorns, how we can turn our lives into well-prepared soil where God's love can grow and produce much fruit. That is, I think, a fairly typical way of reading this story. But truth be told, it can feel a little tough. Because reading the story that way means, first, as Jesus frames the story, that the odds are quite stacked against us, in fact, three to one. And second, it implies that if our lives are not bearing fruit, that if our lives are not productive enough, then it must be because we've done something wrong. We have in some way neglected our soil. We have failed to weed or to fertilize as we ought. And so the takeaway from Jesus' story today ends up being some challenge toward self-improvement. I need to improve the conditions of my life so that God's love falls on rich and fertile soil and produces a greater yield through my toil. Now that is one way to read this story, but it is not, to be sure, the only way. For after all, this story Jesus tells is a parable, and parables always have multiple entry points. They have sort of layers of meaning. They speak to us in a variety of ways. And with this one, today it is worth noting what Jesus calls this story and where he thereby directs our attention. He does not call this story the parable of the soils as we often do, but instead he calls it the parable of the sower or the farmer. So the farmer is where Jesus wants our attention to be. The farmer, not the soil, is our example. This parable of the farmer is one of seven parables that are all squeezed together into the thirteenth chapter of Matthew. Each of them is a little different, but they're all descriptions of what Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven, or what we might call the new creation, it's called that elsewhere, or or the beloved community, or God's dream for the world. They borrow familiar images from everyday life to describe for us in different ways the new world, that God's grace is growing, that God's grace is growing, which is to say that they are all then stories, including today's, about God before they are stories about us. And so if we flip this story around and read it in that way, as a story first and foremost about God, then it becomes less about our productivity or our failures or our need to improve our soil and more about the extravagance and even the recklessness of this farmer who is unfazed by the quality of the soil and just keeps scattering seeds everywhere, wasting it with holy abandon. Feeding the birds, covering the rocks, picking their way through the thorns, giving thanks for the fertile soil while still scattering seeds everywhere else as well, confident that there is more than enough to go around. There is plenty, in fact, and when the harvest comes, the fruit will be more than we need. For in God's dream for this world, in the kingdom of heaven, in the beloved community that we are called to be together, there is waste. And because of that waste, not even in spite of that waste, but because of that waste, there is a promise of abundant harvest. For in fact, waste seems to be how God's love often is expressed in our lives and in the world. It's expressed with holy abandon and with a certainty that there is more than enough. God sends Jesus into the world as the embodiment of perfect love. And we, what do we do? We crucify that love, we waste that love. Yet by the power of God, there is still an abundant harvest. Jesus is raised as the first crop of the harvest. And by that same power of God, we then are raised with Christ too, into a new way of living. For whatever seems to us to be wasted, God always is ready to redeem. God is a prolific gardener. A gardener who doesn't wait until the conditions are perfect to go ahead and scatter love all over. A gardener who isn't stingy with love or concerned about running out of it, but flings it all around, both on the fertile soil and on the rocky ground as well. A gardener who isn't cautious or calculating or really even all that practical. A gardener who doesn't play it safe but just keeps reaching into that seed bag again and again and again for all eternity, covering the whole creation with seeds of love, and justice, and peace. Truth be told, I would not do it that way. If I were the farmer in Jesus' story, I would be more strategic about it, more careful about not wanting to waste resources. I would want some system in place, I love systems, some system in place to ensure that my efforts would not be wasted, that my gardening would be efficient, would be maximally productive, some method to guarantee a return on my investment. I certainly wouldn't want to waste good seed on birds or on rocks or on thorns. No, I'd concentrate my efforts where I knew that the seeds would take root, where they would grow. Thanks be to God, Jesus' story isn't a story about me. It's a story about God. And in it, Jesus tells us that there is another way to do things, another way to go about sharing God's love in the world, a way that is less concerned with productivity and efficiency and more with just giving love away. A farmer goes out to scatter seeds, Not to plant them tidily in nice little rows where the soil has been already perfectly prepared. No, the farmer goes out and scatters them. And as they do so, some seeds fall on a path where birds come and eat them. Nevertheless, they keep on scattering. And as they do so, some seeds fall on rocky ground and others among a briar patch and others on good soil. No matter the farmer just keeps on scattering seeds, flinging them everywhere among the roots of trees and thistles onto the roofs of houses and across the street into their neighbor's yard, maybe, like the head of a dandelion, blown wherever the wind will blow. Maybe they even toss some of those seeds into a creek, for who knows, maybe those seeds will root themselves somewhere downstream. And wherever the farmer scatters them, However wildly and recklessly, however indiscriminately, without counting the cost, there are always, always more seeds to share. That doesn't make sense, this story Jesus tells. It isn't reasonable, it isn't efficient. But maybe it's just how it is with God's love. It recalls to my mind these often quoted verses, were inscribed on the wall of Mother Teresa's home for children in Calcutta. Sometimes they're called the anyway poem. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may cheat and deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. The good you do today people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. What you spend years creating others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. Give the very best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. Perhaps if I could add a verse inspired by today's story Some, or maybe even most, of the love that you share in the world may fall on hardened hearts or get gobbled up by fear or choked out by cynicism. It may not seem to make a real difference. No matter. No matter. Share love anyway. For when it comes to those most basic and most crucial acts of living, loving God and loving our neighbors, These things cannot be strategized or calculated or controlled. They won't be efficient or immediately and obviously productive. Much of the love we share in our neighborhoods just might go to waste. So be it. Keep scattering love anyway. In God's image, and following Jesus' example, don't just love those who are close to you or who are like you or can benefit you, or will love you in return, giving you a good return on your investment of love. No, instead, love wildly. Love even wastefully. Love in the same way that we are loved. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and generous God, In every fragile moment of our lives, we belong to you. May the love we have from you spill gratitude from our hearts. May the wounds we carry open our hearts to the needs of others. May we recognize in your mercy, the faithfulness that redeems all creation. Make your presence known, O God, in us and through us and among us, this day and every day. We lift to you now in these moments, all that seems broken in our lives and families, in our schools and workplaces, in our nation, in your church and in this world. We pray for those who are ill, for those who are lonely, for those who are mourning. We pray for Lee and for Hal and for the family and friends of Fay, for Georgia, and for all who need our care. We pray for the Sterling United Methodist Church and their pastor and their community. We pray for those who occupy positions of power and authority, that they would be guided by your compassion and grace. And we pray now for ourselves, for the boldness to act, for the empathy to tend the world you so love, for care and courage to sow more than we reap, and to heal more than we wound, and to make room for each other, as you make room for us all. Redeeming God, stake your claim upon us now, until we hear the good news of your love echoed in every person's story, and we perceive your image reflected on every face. Unsettle our lives by your grace, for the sake of your love we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.